Welcome to North of the Shire, your podcast on all things Lord of the Rings, although I'm quite sure it's mostly about the Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game by Games Workshop. I'm your host, Don, and this is episode 20. It's a milestone episode. Today, I'm here with a man who is a legend, well, at least in his own mind, Mr. Andrew Brock. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the build-up and then the backhanded compliment. You know, you, you could have Start, been... starting off strong with a with a solid low blow. Yeah, it's exactly. It. I felt like the roller coaster Canada's Wonderland. You go up and then all of a sudden, woof, drop right back down, and it's like that was the the lead up there. But yeah, I'm I'm on for today, like I am pretty much almost every other time. Good. Awesome. Uh, yeah, awesome. so how has your hobbying been or your MESPG experience been in the last couple of weeks? It has been awesome. Hobby-wise, not so much, but let mm-hmm. me just run down a little uh, contents of this episode, a little table of contents. Oh. So we'll, we'll do our little catch-up here. Then we got the main topic coming up, which is going to be on the Combined Arms Army build. That's right. Exciting stuff. And then we'll do our All That Is Gold Does Not Glitter. Mm-hmm. So we have a question from uh, Joseph Hanlon. Okay. And then uh, what have I got in my pocket? And for once, you uh, are prepared with a question. I've got a question. I feel somewhat intimidated. I don't know. This oh, has never happened you before. you should. You should. <laughs> <laughs> and then hopefully we'll finish off with our new segment, our new yet as unnamed short story co-op story the tbd chronicles yeah tbd chronicles (laughs) 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 maybe i'll just write that in right now tbd chronicles that's it there we go tentative that's the tentative name and people can try to figure out what the acronym tbd stands for that's right outside of the obvious Um, to be determined yeah hobby wise no still still I'm flatlining on the hobby right now. Other Uh-oh. than 3D printing, I got. I still. I'm still fooling around with the 3D printing. Um, but took a big step in this. You know, I've been. I've been saying the reason I've not been painting is because I have no place to paint, which is mm-hmm. true. It's a pain in the butt not having a place to paint because you're always having to clean up, right? And, yeah, that's such a pain. Yeah, in the butt. it's like don't leave all your stuff all over the place. And like, well, it's, it's you don't have to clean up. It's someone who's politely well, suggesting you, know you clean up. <laughs> it's fair enough. Like you know, so, I, sometimes I'm out of control. My stuff is all over the place, and it's ridiculous. I'll be the first to admit that. And like you yeah. know. When when my my paints and all my crap is all over the kitchen table for for like months on oh, end, yeah, literally, yeah. yeah, totally fair play to tell me to smarten up. So you know the no patience, worries. the patience. Yeah, but what I have done now is I have actually uh, ordered a cheap computer desk for our spare room, mm-hmm. which I will be using as a painting desk, so I can kind of permanently or at least semi-permanently have my junk on there and hopefully be able to put in an hour or two of painting whenever I feel like it so Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that'll make a huge difference on the on the hobby front for me you know I had one of those painting there was one of those cheap computer desks it must have been like a hundred bucks or something like really small like almost like um had like a kidney kidney bean shaped top to it super Mm -hmm. compact 
I think I used that for like three years bouncing from my parents' place to my own place to, you know, the first place my wife and I moved into. Um, and, you know, it works. It's effective. Mm-hmm. And nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And it's like a, it's the one I'm getting is, is around 100 bucks and it's like a four foot table. So it's... Yeah. I think I think it'll be fine, but and if it's we'll a, see how it goes. If it's a four foot table, you know what? It doubles for a perfect gaming table. <laughs> mm-hmm. The pressure will be on though because I won't have an excuse anymore. That's true. I'll have to put uh, up or shut up, basically. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Now, interestingly enough, I've been sort of holding off on painting myself because I've been looking for well, outside of actually you know working till two a.m. every day, but. Um, been looking forward to getting my wet palette. Mm-hmm. I just ordered a wet palette, uh, or my my wife. Has yeah, ordered. dude, you've been talking about this for three episodes. Okay, hold on a second. When the hell did you order this wet palette? I didn't order it. I suggested I suggested my wife order it for me for my birthday, which is coming up in like two weeks. Oh, okay, and, okay. So uh, it's, it's not something that's that. been it's not something that's been ordered. It's something that has been planned. planned oh, it, it, it has been. It's in the house somewhere. I I went and oh, got okay, the package, okay, okay. and I definitely know it's the package in question. Uh, and so uh, fingers crossed that she actually got it for me, which I'm sure she did. And. Uh, I'm looking forward to using it um, as I figure that will be like, there's no more excuses at that point. I, I've made my excuse, yeah. which is I need a wet palette and now I have it. And it's like, okay, so yeah, it's, it's a birthday. Pain. It's a birthday gift. It is a birthday gift. And it's when right. is the happy occasion? The 17th of the month. Oh, right on. Right That's on. right. Not I'm a Gemini. Far. Look out now. Okay. I don't know what that means. But what I, I don't know what it means either, but yeah. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> those who believe in astrological signs, they know what that means. So, no hobbying, but big news for me on the gaming front. I played a game. I heard. I have played a game of MESBG. My first game in, like, almost 15 months. Just ridiculous. Yeah, Chris came over uh, this past weekend. Mm -hmm. We played on my patio out back. Social distance, masks, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But it was it was fantastic. You know, we were both yeah. terrible. Couldn't remember the rules. Well, apparently uh, he couldn't know, remember the yeah, rules. Oh yeah, we, we had we had oh, lots of we had <laughs> lots of issues there for sure. Uh, but it was so much fun. Oh my god, just to hang out with a friend for a few hours and mm-hmm. uh, roll some dice. Oh my god, it was so good. So yeah, much fun. Yeah. I lost, of course, but, you know. Hold on a second. You lost to a guy who brought an army that supposedly their infantry was fight four, defense six, courage four for five points. So get out of here with that, okay? <laughs> Someone clearly didn't update their iOS on their iPad and was using the very wrong version of what the uh, <laughs> survivor or was it the Army of Lake Town's uh, militia were. Yeah, well, he, he had the... Uh, he had the the iPad version, and it was there in black and white. What am I going to say? I don't know. I don't memorize the stats of these models. Whatever. Just play the game. I don't care. Um, but yeah, my 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 lowly orcs were were bouncing off of his warriors of Lake Town with defense six. I'd fight which, five and fight five. I guess I guess in the original <laughs> in the original document it was a typo. So uh, he uh, eventually did delete it off his phone and download it again, and it was it was what it should be. Yeah, significantly weaker. Yeah. It's like, at that point, you're like, hmm, your guys are one point cheaper than mine. You have the same number of models that I have on the table, and yet somehow your guys are better than mine by leagues. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> at the end of the day, I don't think it would have made a huge difference because he was spiking six 
boxes and I was just rolling in the toilet. Um, um, on top of that, he was getting plus one fight everywhere. So he, instead of having fight feet, th- th- fight five versus my fight three, it would have been fight four versus my fight three. Um, so, you know, I might have killed a handful of additional models. Um, I maybe. disagree. Who knows? In that you probably would have lost, you know, um, but you probably wouldn't have been a 10-1 loss. Because um, no. had you known that, yeah, what is it, the, uh, the, not Alfred, but the other guy, I don't remember his name off the top of my head. Moneybags. Moneybags, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's his special rule. Yeah, if you master had Master of Lake Town? Yeah, the Master it? of Lake Town. Uh, yeah. If you'd known the Master of Lake Town was giving the fight four, you probably would have singled him out with shooting and black darts, and that wouldn't have been a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what was the biggest problem in the whole game? Bard? Friggin' Bane. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. Uh, Bane and the two little girls just oh, just wow. wrecked one of my flanks. I couldn't I couldn't get rid of them, and oh, my God, it was just terrible. First game back in there, and there's Bane, just yeah. like a old stick in the guts. It's like, oh, God. He's your Bane? <laughs> he is my Bane, yeah. <laughs> no, but it was great. Just to play a game was, was fantastic. Oh, that's good. And we're already planning to get together again. For, for another one, so I, I poke at the gaming side of things, but the reality is, you, I'm a little envious. You guys got a game in, and yeah, that's a big thing right now. I mean, like being able to see each it other and social interaction and all that yeah. stuff. Uh, you know, the interesting thing is, even though I'm slow as all heck at painting, I too have a bane uh, in my closet. Do you? And bane, Sigrid and Tilda and Bane. That's right. Oh, and wow. Percy and um, Hilda, I believe. Yeah, it came. Right. What's the uh, the two girls? What are their names again? Sigrid and Tilda. Sigrid and Tilda, like the the smaller one. I was near near the end of the game. I had I some of my some of my orc trackers, and I I couldn't even take her down. So it's just terrible. Yeah, terrible. I heard she even like she won and she killed one of them or something. <laughs> yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. killed an orc. That's right. That's terrible. That's a 12 and a half point model at his garbage can that beats a couple orc trackers. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, well, anyways, it was good to have a game and good mm-hmm. to talk after the game about this and that and kibitz and, and whatnot. That's right. it, was, it was a lot of fun. Really good and fun. It's funny because Chris started trolling me about it. Oh, you know, I would just take the models as is, go to a tournament. It's my oh, yeah, book. Yeah. And I'm just like, Chris, my friend. I'm well versed <laughs> in years of Garrett trolling me like this. I smell a troll. I know what's going on here. <laughs> well, after we'd finished the game and we we were messaging you, yeah, and he was he was he was attempting a hard troll for sure. There, he, he was attempting a Garrett troll, and I'm well versed yeah. in the Garrett trolls. All right, so nothing else going on, or what? Shall we move move on to our main segment? I think it's time we should move talk on. about some combined arms. All right, let's talk about. Andrew. Yes, Don. Let's talk about the combined arms army build. Let's talk about it. This is another episode in our army build series. And the combined arms army build is kind of like the jack of all trades, master of none army, I would say. Would you agree, Andrew? Yeah, I'd agree with that. 
Um, it's one that includes many, as many tools as possible to handle as many situations as you're likely to encounter. Um, there is almost no mission or army matchup that a combined arms does not have a decent chance at winning against. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, when we're looking at a combined arms, its strength is in its its versatility, right? It's got all the tools. Um, you know, you've got your magic, you've got your siege engines, you've got your shooting, you've got your combat, um, you've got your big hero. You've got all of these things going for you, so you can do everything. You can play the objective game fairly well because your siege engines and your magic can allow you to sort of capitalize on attacking certain objectives. Uh, and especially in the character killing game, you are phenomenal at that. Yeah, your focus is actually on diversity of your yes. army, surprise, not on surprise. a specific thing. I would say the other strength of this army is... That, and kind of its purpose, really, is that its objective is an army that plays the mission. Oh, yeah, I would agree with that totally. This yeah. is an army that um, you, it has the magic so it can go for character killing if it needs to take out a leader. You've got a beautiful one-two combo because generally this type of army brings like a top tier, a gold medalist, the threes in all the right places kind of leader. And you've got mm -hmm. a little mm -hmm. wizard to boot. And that combo of the, the transfix plus your leader charges their leader, that's a really hard combo for your opponent to beat if they don't have that magic defense. And, and that's just one element of being able to play the mission. They can always play the leader kill game. They can always go for the objectives. They can always go for the break. And, and you know, you, you made a point about um, countering this type of list. Uh, because it's diversity and versatility, very rarely does it come across something that's going to say, I have a minimal chance of winning this. I got to go for a tie uh, at best, right? Because the versatility, because it has all the tools, it can say, you know what? I've, I can do something here. I've got a play here that where I could pull maybe a 7-6, seven, 7-5 seven, win. Um, and that sort of throws it in my direction. Uh, and they, it pays for those tools, obviously. Uh, but it makes a big deal um, because you have that confidence going into every game knowing you always or almost always have a chance. One other thing about this list too is uh, um, with all these different types of unit in, in the army, a lot of variety, a lot of uh, different opportunities, this is um, a type of army that will bounce back easier than than some other armies. Like if you have a really bad turn, um, this one here, because you have usually a lot of tricks with this army, a lot of mm -hmm. different types of strategies you can employ, you can you can more easily bounce back from a bad turn than some other armies. I would agree. This this type of army actually is um, has a bit of. Uh, CDF mitigation built in when I say and when I say CDF I'm referring to critical dice failure it has a bit of that built into it <laughs> I like that uh, and now I won't save you if it's catastrophic critical dice failure if, if it's the C squared DF you're you're kind of pooched but if you have a bad turn you still stand a pretty good chance of bouncing back with this type of a build um, and there's one thing that 
you know, I, I appreciate about a combined arms list is that it plays all aspects of the game and it plays them very well. And I'm talking the movement phase, which includes magic. I'm talking the shooting phase, which includes siege engines. I'm talking the combat phase, which includes the big characters hammering into other big characters and winning the day. Uh, and it also talks about, um, you know, that shield wall being able to set up a bit of a, a grind game. Uh, not a big one, not anywhere near as big as a real shield wall army, but you still got that. And you've got some mobility to grab some outflanking objectives. So yeah, it plays all aspects of this game. Did you already talk about the hardly ever can be hard countered? I did, yeah. Okay, well then I won't mention it. I'll mention the fact that this army tends to excel pretty well against hero-heavy lists. Yes, very Why do much. you think that is? What, what, what about this army is good against enemy heroes? Well, this army, because it has a wizard, it can lock down a, like a top-tier hero, right? And that isn't instantaneous. It can take a couple turns to whittle down that will, especially if they don't have any magic resistance. But then you lock down their top-tier hero, and then your leader, who's generally, you know, a top-tier hero, goes and kills their mid-tier heroes, right? And he does it easily. And so all of a sudden, those line-breaker-style lists that run those uh, that big hero and some smaller mid-tier heroes, they flounder against a combined arms force because they just can't, they just can't compete against it because they don't have... Um, the tricks needed to counter a combined arms force. And so it really excels against a line breaker list. It really excels against um, a lot of the elements of a shield wall, right? Like when we talk about shield walls, we say shield walls tend, their warriors tend not to be the ones doing the killing. It's their leaders. It's, it's, the, it's the characters. But if a combined arms list is using their characters, their tricks to neutralize their opponents, then all of a sudden... A shield wall is left sort of like swinging its like foam bat hoping to get the kills and it doesn't turn out well yeah you end up relying on a part of your army to get the kills that you're not supposed to be relying on to get kills agreed uh why don't we move on to weaknesses so because this army comes with a lot of tricks and those tricks are usually quite costly in points Usually this army is one of the smaller in terms of number of units, mm -hmm. not as many uh, bodies on the table as other armies. Uh, so it does, like you do have mobility and, and that, and you do have like a chunk of warriors, but because this army is average in size or maybe slightly below average in size, you do sacrifice a bit of board control with this type of build. As you said, the tricks are expensive, especially when you're looking at wizards on the good side and you're looking at, you know, your top tier heroes that are 150 point plus, you're, you're getting less and less body counts. And I would say you're probably have a same similar army count, probably actually slightly higher than a line breaker list, I would say in terms of model count, but definitely below um, your, your shield wall type list and probably on par with... Um, your mobile types armies, I would say. Yeah, that sounds about right, I would say. Yeah. The other thing about the other weakness with a combined arms list is that because you have almost no hard counters situations against you, conversely speaking, you have almost no hard counters for you 
meaning you have no overwhelming advantages in many cases, right? While they do excel against the linebreaker style list, that doesn't mean it's a hard counter, okay? And so what this end up, end, ends up happening is that in a tournament setting, you are not, it's very rare to get a 12-0 win, okay? Some other army types like mobile, like linebreaker, they excel at the 12-0 win when the conditions are right. And the conditions are often right for them. Okay. Oh, or a horde, you can end up rolling right over to your entire opponent's army. Exactly. With, with a horde list, again, especially with an objective-based mission, you can grab a 12-0 fairly confidently. Whereas with a combined arms, you're not going to be getting that often. So be mindful when you're looking at a mission pack when it says uh, missions are VP differentials or missions are based on major wins versus minor wins and that's determined by VP differentials. Because if you're running a force that's not gonna pick up more than eight or nine points uh, and your opponent might get three or four, be careful because you might be running yourself at a handicap even though you've got a list that can take on everything. Yeah, I'd say all of that is is quite fair to say. Um, and I think, honestly, it's it's kind of the sacrifice you make when you take this build. It's like mm-hmm. a you know jack-of-all-trades, master's none. You're taking as much variety as you can. You want to be able to handle as many different situations, different missions, different army types as you can. Well, So you don't really have a dominant strategy that that can overwhelm your opponent mm-hmm. you know your uh yeah the swiss army knife of uh of army builds agreed talking about building a combined arms force uh well i'll start with the first one and i think this is an important piece to a combined arms build is the spellcaster you want a spellcaster certain other things you can sacrifice but the spellcaster plays a big role um, in giving you a lot of those tricks, like your Transfix, your Compel, your Drain Courage for Evil, your Sorcerer's Blast, your Black Dart. These are all really important things you need to be able to lock down enemy heroes, de- dismount them, um, knock down some cav that might be um, outflanking you. These are all really important things. And it could be as simple as maybe a 271 Ring Wraith or a or a, you know, a 3103 Witch King with the Crown of Morgul on a horse, or it could be a Gandalf the Grey or a Gandalf the White, or even a Radagast the Brown. But you need something that can challenge, at a minimum, challenge a big hero with transfixes, or, you know, snipe him with a black dart, or even Sorceress Blast, an, an enemy warrior into a mounted hero. These are all really important tricks that you need. These are sort of fundamental things to a combined arms force. Having said that, though, like, I've... I've played against many armies that use this type of build mm-hmm. and certainly on the good side I have played against combined arms lists that either do not have a spellcaster at all mm-hmm. and have a big hero and some mid-tier stuff and then the rest of the army is as we've described and I've also played against an army that has a big hero, like a Gandalf the White, mm-hmm. a big spellcaster like that, but does not have another like top-tier killy hero. Right. They go from Gandalf the White right down to your mid-tier stuff. Because mm-hmm. um, if you're going with like a big spellcaster on the good side, and then you're going with a, like a killy hero with threes in all the right places, that's a huge amount of points for, for two big heroes like that. 
It's true. Um, um, you and, and so you, it's all about the point level of your event, right, or the game that you're playing. And you're not running a combined arms force with a big spellcaster and a big hero at 500 points. You're starting to sacrifice some stuff, right? But when you get into the 750, 800 point mark, uh, there are combined arms forces that can do it all. Uh, and again, you're sacrificing bodies to do it. Yeah. What about a siege engine? That's like a super common thing in this build. Oh. Um, like it's it's a very important part, I think, of this build too. Like usually when you see a siege engine on the table, there's a good chance that they're they they're throwing out a, a combined arms list at yeah. you. Um, and you know whether it's a like a one of the small siege engines or a large siege engine is something that can force the enemy to come towards you yes forces your enemy to move because yeah. if they've if they don't they're just gonna eat giant rocks or <laughs> bolts all, all day long right <laughs> exactly um for siege engines i you know to, to your point don earlier that the wizard isn't an absolute absolute critical necessity i think for those armies that can't run a a wizard you know and there are some that do combined arms well. The siege engine becomes your de facto sort of critical piece that you need to include. And for me, seeing siege engines on the table, one is a groan, but because you have to change how you play the game. Movement dispersal is an absolute thing. You have to do that. Or those siege engines that do splash damage are going to start tearing apart your forces. So all of a sudden, you're not charging in in, in, the, in that you know concentrated uh, force or organization that you want against a combined arms force that has a siege engine. So that is a big element to it. The other component is that siege engines are fantastic at killing monsters, especially if you land that critical hit and they don't have that fate roll. All of a sudden, a siege engine can kill a monster outright uh, very quickly. So siege engines give you a lot of tools outside of the wizard um, for handling big monsters, things like Smaug, um, that allow you to, as a combined arms force, tackle something you wouldn't normally be able to. I don't know if you have found this. I don't know if you've played a lot with Siege Engines. I don't think you have. Um, correct me if I'm wrong there, but I find whenever I bring a Siege Engine in an army, which uh, admittedly isn't often, mm -hmm. one of the one of the um, one of the useful things about it is it is um, really influences the play of your opponent. Like it's an intimidation factor is. Oh, yeah is huge with the siege engine because most people um, know what a siege engine is capable of doing like one shot one kill um, so like i've played isengard a lot i mentioned that before mm -hmm. and so if you're playing the you know stock standard isengard list and you take us you take their ballista it's not very good to no. be honest right but the intimidation factor that it brings is undeniable. Mm -hmm. Like, it does definitely control or influence the way that your opponent moves their models around the table. Yes, very much so. It's, and if you have a bad game against a siege engine, you will not forget that. And you will no. remember that bad game for, for many, many games games to come even though you know the probabilities of that bad game happening again are very low <laughs> but so all of a sudden what happens is your 
you start making hesitate, you start hesitating, you start second guessing your moves, and all of a sudden your your opponent has won the push pull uh, momentum game, and the momentum is very much in their favor because you're afraid, and so that's what the siege engine does for combined arms force, and you will see it in almost every combined arms force out there. What about shooting? Is there much to say about shooting in, in a combined list? I think this is fairly short. This is a fairly short one. The shooting is max it out. If you can do 33% bow limit, you do 33%. If you do 50, you do 50. Shooting is a key element because um, the, the combined arms force plays the castle game extremely well, right? That means they've hunkered down in a specific spot. Um, they're able to shoot at you. They almost always have some sort of blinding light, if possible, or extremely high defense so that they can weather the shooting game. And with a siege engine on their side, uh, they're winning that game. You just have to accept it and you have to move towards them. So yeah, shooting, max it out. Uh, and if you can bring a character with a heroic accuracy, you're, you're doing well for yourself. So maxing it out probably means you have one more band of, of archers. Probably, in an yeah. average In an average size list, right? I would say so. Uh, what's next? I would say in terms of a combined arms force, if you can, points limited, obviously, uh, you want a top tier hero, and that's going to be your leader. So you want this person to be a Valor or a Legend, uh, and you want them to be uh, strong enough to be able to take on your opponent's top tier heroes with a little bit of magical help, uh, as well as being able to tackle hordes of infantry. So that means threes in all the right places. That means fight six or higher. That means at a minimum heroic strike, ideally heroic defense if you can swing it. And that obviously that D67 at a minimum. Yeah, because it's like, you know, we talked before about the line breaker, you know, if you're getting charged by say four heroes mounted all at once, you know, you need a big hero for your for your eventual counter charge. So mm -hmm. maybe maybe you have a spellcaster and they throw out a transfix, and maybe your big hero charges one of their mid tier heroes and kills them all in one go. That's well, right. now it's not looking quite so bad. Right, right. Exactly. And on top of that, your mid your your big hero didn't have to burn any might on a on a strike because the transfix denied your opponent, and your your big hero had a higher fight value to begin with. So it's about you know. I would say sustaining or prolonging the, the might on your big hero so that they don't have to spend it so you can use other methods to allow them to keep that three might for that critical uh, heroic move on, maybe that critical um, heroic fight if things start going bad, a heroic strike, I mean, if things start going bad and you, you, you a couple things don't go your way. Um, so yeah. In terms of the building a list, what do you think about um, you know the, the troops? What are you looking for? Um, usually you're looking at one of two things. I, th I think the most common thing is you're probably looking at a small shield wall. Like mm -hmm. you're probably taking like a unit of guys with shield mixed with some spears maybe. Mm -hmm. um, so that they can form up between a couple pieces of terrain and hold a line. Or depending on the army that you're playing, if you ha if you're playing an army that has really cheap troops, um, you're looking at sort of like a small horde, yeah. a small horde of uh, of bodies within your army build, and so yeah, the guy's gonna run in 
do yeah he's going to kill people but he's going to take a long time to plow through all those bodies and you're going to have a number of attacks on him mm -hmm. um usually with the first type you know you're you're looking for your d your d6 probably um you know or d7 and if you're playing dwarves for example yeah um stuff that's just going to not die i would think yeah you know and if you're looking at the horde stuff, obviously you're going to be more into your, you know, defense five, defense four, or maybe even defense three, depending on what you're playing. Um, and obviously, which one of those type of quote unquote shield wall units that you have in your, your list is going to influence the way that you play the game, they play the rest of your units. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I mean... When if you're looking at a horde wall, you can you can spread out a bit more. It gives you a little bit more board control. You have a little bit of opportunity to move up on your opponent. Maybe even do some sort of wrap where you wrap your army around them if their if their army is smaller. Whereas if you're looking at your shield wall, you're as you said you're hunkering down between two army uh, two terrain pieces. You're preventing those flanks from happening, and you're letting your trick sort of win the day for you. Yeah, and you you probably have a siege engine that needs protecting as well. Yeah. So you're probably probably forming up in front of your siege engine somewhere to sort of keep it safe. Agreed, agreed. Uh, and it's something to note is that while you do have a shield wall, this is by no means as big as other armies. Like for example, your your shield wall army type, uh, your horde. Or even your line breaker. Sometimes your line breaker can have the same model count as you, but the difference is they don't take shooting models, whereas you do, right? And all of a sudden they have more of that rank and file um, unit than you do, and so their their shield wall line is bigger than yours. So be mindful of that when you you because you don't want to overextend yourself with this type of army because the moment you start losing those tricks, your the effectiveness of your build goes down quite significantly. Absolutely. What about, um, do we want to talk about cavalry? Because that's obviously an important part of a combined arms list. Oh my god, yeah. So because we talked about the combined arms being so um, so small relative to other army types, and thus its board control is less, it needs mobility to grab um, out, outflanking or um, distant objectives. And in that case, you need probably anywhere between three and six cav, depending upon points. Uh, and that's for mobility and grabbing objectives. Now, the other piece, the um, sort of tactic that comes along with this is that your cavalry also give you line of sight to other points of the board so that your indirect fire siege engines can see them, right? Because the rules are if you're... Um, if you have line of sight to a part of the board, your indirect fire siege engine can shoot at it. But if you don't, it can't. So this is incredibly important for, you know, if a cav sort of swings the flank and all of a sudden sees some enemy warriors hunkering down on an objective, you can now fire a siege shot into them and that can do some pretty hefty damage and allow you to grab those objectives and, and force your opponents to, to hunker down and, and put more models on, the, on those things. Okay, so heroic actions for this type of list. Um, you, usually you're taking your tier two hero, like your, your mid-tier hero. Um, you're, you're one of the reasons that you're deciding on your specific hero is because of their heroic actions they're bringing. Because you usually want to see both of these heroic actions in your list, and it's nothing exciting. They're both basic things. Heroic mm -hmm. March and Heroic Accuracy. 
um, nope. for very obvious reasons. Um, when you need to go out and grab an objective or attack an isolated warband on the enemy side, march, very handy. When you're looking to kill something very important with your unit of archers, having somebody in there with accuracy is a godsend. So, you know, those are very common and, and pretty much um, standard actions that you see in this type of build. Agreed. And if you've got an opportunity to pick up a tier two hero with heroic defense, this isn't a bad option. And I say that because having a tier two hero with heroic defense allows you another tool in you know, your toolbox, another trick. Because again, if you're being overwhelmed by um, big heroes hammering your lines, it's not a bad thing to send off a tier two hero with heroic defense to tie up a big hero, a tier one or a top tier hero, and just heroic defense for two or three turns. And all of a sudden that big hero is neutralized while giving you the chance to wear down the other heroes with your big hero and your magic and your shooting and all that stuff. Well, certainly because of the because of the commonality of of big heroes yeah. uh, in the game. The introduction of heroic defense was such a big thing for this edition, and oh, yeah. it's become very popular quickly because it's so good. Which is why, like Mr. Jazz Hands, Gorolf Ironhide, oh, is so just so good. Free heroic defense. You know, you're basically you're, you're you know you're like a rodeo clown for the entire game in in front of your your to enemy top tier hero yeah. and the whole game finishes and that guy who cost like 150 plus points has been neutralized by a guy that costs 70 points for the entire game right and you you, you, you combo that one with Frida Tallspear who can nullify the cab bonus charge and all of a sudden yeah. your big hero on, the, on their horse all of a sudden is just like pewtering around dancing away with their pony because Frida's <laughs> just like nah uh uh and yeah. that combo, plus the fact that, you know, Gorolf Ironhide has three attacks and strength five yeah. and a piercing weapon. There's just so many he, he's probably not. He's probably not a good example to mention here because he's an extreme. When you're talking heroic defense, he's an extreme. You know, most people have just that ability to heroic defense and a few points of might, and that's yeah. the end of story. Um, still very valuable, though. But like even a Faramir, right? Three might, heroic defense, boom, done. Even a lot yep. of the Moria um, named heroes have heroic defense. Well, guess what? Two might, three might on a 50-point on a, on a model with heroic defense? Yes, please. I will happily use that <laughs> model. <laughs> uh, and lastly, let's talk about special rules. Um, and this is, again, we're, again, we're talking about these tricks. And so getting your army to have some special rules, like lots of special rules if you can, is really good because that adds diversity, it adds ability. And, and special rules I'm talking about are terror. For example, Black Numenorians give terror for a Mordor um, combined arms list, right? And that's pretty big. And then we also talk about large banner radius. And, and in that we're talking about uh, Prince Immerhill and his banner, ridiculous banner, or we're talking about Bard and the Survivors of Lake Town banner uh, range and bonus. And so these things allow you to take your warriors that are doing the job of a horde wall or a shield wall and step them up several notches in terms of effectiveness without you know having to pay for much more than just picking up that big hero. 
Yeah, it's one of the common things these days with these heroes of legend. You know, they also come along with a pretty legendary special rule. A lot of them do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, usually you're picking them to be the leader of your army because of that. That, and they're also heroes of legend. Yep. Alrighty, so let's move on to some strategies or some strategies. The stratagems. That's right. And let's talk about the first one. And we'll gloss over this a little bit because we've already talked a lot of it, a lot about it. And that is magic makes everything easier. And when you've got a wizard in your army, whether that's a ringwraith or a wizard, you have so many options. And we break that down into offensive magic and defensive magic, right? So because of the newest change to the FAQ, offensive magic like Black Dart is fantastic at dismounting enemy heroes because you can just Black Dart the horse, no save for resisting unless the whole model has Fortify Spirit, and bang, unless that guy, unless that big hero has Horse Lord, they're on their keister and much easier to handle. Same thing with Sorceress Blast. Sorceress Blast, uh, an unwitting warrior that's standing near an enemy hero that's mounted, and boom, both of them are knocked down and off their mounts. So just these little things alone can help you dismount your enemy uh, heroes uh, and give you a much better time for your hero to start trampling them over. And we've already talked at length about Transfixing Compel and their abilities to allow your big hero to kill mid-tier heroes without expending might, or go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the big heroes, your opponent's big hero, and uh, have a very good chance of killing them outright. Okay? And last piece here in terms of the offensive magic is something that's evil only. Okay? And this is the Drain Courage slash Terror combo. Okay, and this is something that Ringwraiths excel at, and this is, they will pick an enemy hero, and they will drain courage them. So 2 plus to cast, 12 inch range, and a lot of the times your opponent won't stop it, right? Because they're not going to burn their will blocking something, it just reduces their courage by 1. But, if your battle line is front rank Black Numenorians that cause terror, and you have a Ringwraith with Harbinger of Evil for that negative 1 courage, Things start adding up to the point where if you Courage Bomb with Drain Courage into an enemy hero, getting them down to a Courage 1, Courage 2, it makes it very difficult for them to even charge your battle line. And again, that's a form of control that a Combined Arms Force loves to have. And on the defense, defensive magic side, a lot of those wizards that you're going to bring, well, they have an anti-shooting bubble, whether that's Blinding Light, Pall of Darkness, Pall of Shadows, I think it's called. Um, and that ability to give your your army, which again, we talked about it being slightly smaller, uh, the ability to uh, pretty much ignore most shooting further exacerbates their ability to win the shooting game. Max shooting in siege engines and needing sixes to hit, your opponent's going to just forget shoot, trying to play the shooting game and just run at you, which is again what you want them to do. And lastly, your wizards can sometimes, and this is purely good, have abilities that shut down enemy magic. And that could be a Galadriel Lady of Light bringing Fortify Spirit. I love that model so much and everyone hates it. And that could also mean Gandalf the Grey bringing Protection of Valar, which I think also Galadriel um, Lady of Lothlorien has as well. And that 
allows you to pretty much pick a model and they are immune to magic for the turn, which if you're picking your big hero uh, can be a big deal. What do you think, Don? You have any other points to add? No, I just stay in quiet for that whole section so you could just power through it. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah, it's one of the reasons why magic is such a key component to a combined arms force that if you can get it and bring it, you it's a no-brainer. You should be doing it. Okay, I got a couple of smaller strategies, sort of minor strategies, which you could so do even minor. maybe... Well, they are because it's you could do this with only part of your army with both of these, with both of these uh, strategies. Fair and the, the first one is make them come to you, and this is about you know sitting back, at least with a portion of your army, and shooting with your your bows, which you're definitely going to have, and your siege engine, which you probably have, and it forces the enemy to move towards you. And a lot of the time, that creates opportunities for your other units right um and siege engines like with splash damage or throwback like that kind of stuff like it disperses enemy formations maybe they're moving in a way where they're trying to spread out or maybe you're like knocking down a lot of models some models are moving faster than others it like spreads out the enemy it makes them difficult to charge you like in a concentrated fashion like the best way to charge an opponent is charge them with everything you have all at once all at the same time right that's what you want to do and and that type of strategy often disperses your enemy so that they have an issue doing that the other strategy again you can just do this with a single unit in your army and that is terrain is your friend we've talked about this before and it's where you like anchor one of your units on a on a piece of terrain very very valuable for an army that might be smaller in model count Mm -hmm. because it's basically it's basically taking the place of another unit in a way because it's kind of preventing the enemy from coming around your flank and forcing them to sort of grind right in the front of your blocking unit so that is a great way to slow an enemy army the other thing you can do is terrain wise anyways is to defend an obstacle like a wall or position yourself on like an elevated ridge that like helps you slow down the opponent because they have to make in the way checks in order to in order to get hits on on your model so these are ways you can use terrain just to stop an enemy an enemy advance so you may be using like 10 or 12 models and stopping like 20 or 25 enemy models so it's it's a win for you in terms of resource allocation agreed i mean we, we said it before right like your army is going to be slightly smaller than your opponents and therefore you have to find every way you can to force your opponent to use more models to dislodge your forces than you need to use defending that area so that you win the model count game. Absolutely. All right. Uh, and we've talked about some of these other strategies before, like earlier on. So one of them would be headhunting, right? So we, we because your force is running that top tier hero and you've got a wizard potentially you're and you've got other methods and other tricks to um, neutralize your opponent's heroes your goal is to get your big hero headhunting as early as possible 
That means going for the either the, the top tier hero if you can, your opponent's top tier hero, their leader ideally, or going for Hey, their for leader's the, always worth victory points. Their leader's always worth victory points. And again, we talked about combined arms being that type of army that plays the mission really well. So once you start making those aggressive plays, as in I'm going for your leader and your opponent knows they can't win that fight, that's going to force them to keep their leader out of combat, which wins you that sort of um, momentum game. Because again, your hero is charging and being aggressive, killing warriors, trying to get to your opponent's hero, and they're backing out of combat, they're trying to stay away. And all of a sudden, they're not bringing the, the their total points to the to bear against you, and that's a huge advantage for you in the long run. Yeah, and with and with combined arms, you got you got tools like crazy to go headhunting. You got big heroes. You got wizards. You got shooting. You got siege engines. You got cavalry. You got like everything you need to like isolate and kill an enemy hero. Right, exactly. And you've got potentially mid-tier heroes that have heroic defense. You've got your own cav that you can grab at an enemy uh, leader and lock them down, prevent that their cav charge. All these sorts of tools that you've got at your, your disposal. Uh, and then there's uh, these three I'm, I'm talking about are very much shield wall-esque strategies, okay? Because as a combined arms force, you have an element of a shield wall in your army. And that is the two-on-one, that and the, um, the, you know, the slow burn, if you would, and the supporting hero strategies. So the two-on-one being you throw one of your enemy here, you throw one of your enemy warriors at your opponent's, um, lying, trying to grab uh, two enemy uh, warriors, and then you shield. And again, this is designed for armies that have lower model counts than your opponent, right? That way you've got five, six of your warriors tying up, you know, eight to ten of theirs, or even ten or twelve of theirs, and you're able to bring uh, other portions of your force to bear with your big leader, with your tricks, to be able to grind down your opponent quicker. Okay, and the the slow grind, as we call it, um, is really it's just about getting your your shield wall line connected to theirs, and then having your shield wall stay alive long enough for your heroes to do their job, to kill their enemy heroes, to start killing off the warriors, and this can be done again with the two-on-one strategy. This can also be done with movement, right? So once the lines have connected, you could play some tricks like shifting your battle line uh, and only engaging portions of your opponent's battle line, thus forcing your opponent to be out of position and then having to, them to redeploy and be in disadvantageous positions. And this creates this opportunity of you engage where you want to engage and you force those critical heroic moves where if your opponent doesn't have the might, they're going to struggle to sort of keep up with you. Okay. And lastly, the supporting heroes game, right? Your shield wall units are designed to keep your heroes, especially your big hero, but as well as your wizard, alive as long as possible. So that means getting your supporting models to be surrounding your big hero while they deliver their, their, their hammer blows. But it also means using your shield wall or hard wall, horde wall models to surround your wizards to prevent enemies from being able to heroic combat springboard into them 
as well as um, that those moments where you just don't see the move happening and your opponent is able to get a, a, a tricky charge off uh, because they've tied up your control zones. So being able to have those redundancies and keeping your big tricks alive by literally sacrificing and supporting your warriors is key for this type of army. All right. Um, are we moving on to rock, paper, scissors? I think so. All right. Do you want me to go first with shield wall? I think so. Now, we've, now just to sort of preface this, in almost every other army type, we've talked about this already. So this yeah. would be a fairly quick go through. Yeah, we'll, tr we'll try to power through this quickly here. So if you're playing your combined arms and you go up against a shield wall type army... Of all the other army types out there, shield wall is probably the closest to combined arms, but you have probably a much smaller shield wall, but many more tricks than they do. So you really have to try to use your tricks uh, against this army. This is going to be a fairly easy strategy to employ, somewhat of a downhill battle in a way, because like the idea here is that you're going to be using your tricks and, you know, unit variety to like lock out their heroes with magic, challenge them with your hero, shoot out important elements or disperse their lines with well-placed siege engine shots. When you're facing a shield wall army, those are basically the things you're going to see in terms of the horde now this is always prefaced with non-objective based versus objective based games right in an objective based game you're doing the refused right flank or left flank where you're clumping your whole army together on one flank you're using their their size against them and you're essentially just hunkering down playing the shooting game and regardless, you're using your magic, regardless of what game you're playing, whether that's objective or non-objective, you're using your magic to target their heroes, try to keep them out of combat with you as long as possible through sorceress blasts, black darts, train courage, that kind of thing. And your leader is gonna be wanting to headhunt as quickly as they can, right? Kill as many of your opponents mid-tier heroes, and if you can dive into their top-tier hero, dive into them and kill them because they're almost always going to have more might than you, which means they're almost always going to be able to dictate how the, the game moves, okay? When it comes to the objective-based game, this is, again, you're still kind of doing that element of clumping, but your goal here is to get your cavalry in position where you can start seeing your opponent's backfield objective holders and you want to use your siege engine to start taking them out because once you start taking out their backfield objective holders they have to then start sending models back to claim those objectives again and once that starts happening late game all of a sudden they may end up losing those backfield objectives they thought they had um, this also becomes important for matchups versus Goblin Town. If you've got a siege engine and you're able to get a line of sight on the scribe, you could kill the scribe outright, which means no more reinforcements, and that's a big boon um, for you during this game. So, yeah, during objective-based games, use the siege engine to its utmost effect. Non-objective-based games, hunker down and go for the heroes as much as you can. 
All right, shall I move on to Line Breaker? I think so, yeah. Combined Arms is, does actually reasonably well against the Line Breaker. Um, it's, you will have like a higher model count against this opponent for one, like you have a small army, but against the Line Breaker, you got a model advantage, so you're winning the numbers game. Um, you're gonna have sh superior shooting and quite possibly an anti-shooting bubble on your side so you can force them to come to you. If you've got a wizard, you can lock down their top tier hero. Your leader, who's going to be a good fighty hero, will be able to kill any of their mid-tier heroes with pretty much, you know, not too much difficulty. Yeah. Uh, and generally, your warriors are roughly equal to theirs, but you have more tricks to blunt their offense. Yeah, we, we talked about this previously, and we said that, you know, of all the army types, the combined arms probably excels the best against the line breaker because it's able to blunt the line breaker's pretty much only offensive ability or strategy, and that's get their heroes or uh, monsters in some cases into combat, right? So if, you're, if your combined arms can lock them out, then you're, you're winning. You've already won pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. Now against the leaf blower, things get a bit interesting, because if you've got the tier two, if you've got the tier two hero with the with the heroic march, and you've got the anti shooting bubble, then that means clump up, pop your anti shooting bubble, march yourself at your opponent as quickly as you can. Don't try to play the shooting game. This is one of those few army types that you'll come across that will out shoot you even with an anti shooting bubble. Okay. And so this is all up comes down to find the side of your the, the opponent's army, or the, the look at the opponent's deployment zone, see where their victory points are located, and and rush your main force at it. Okay, so if that means your opponent has their leader and banner in one area, and the mission requires leader banner kill, go for that area. Okay. Now what you have over other army types like the line breaker, like the um, shield wall is that one you have a siege engine right and generally speaking your siege engine will be so far back especially if it's a large one that your opponent won't be able to target it early game okay which means you can start hammering your opponent's lines especially if you're shooting for heroes notably the enemy hero or the leader Okay, which forces them to play the disperse game, which is not something shooting armies like to do. They don't like to disperse um, their large sections of their force if they can hold off on that because it prevents them from using stuff like heroic accuracy to dismount horses and that, that dismount heroes and that kind of thing. So your siege engine plays a big role. Secondly, if you've got a wizard, you can lock down their leader from trying to evade you with some transfixes. Because generally speaking, in a in a you know in a leaf blower type game, they do not have a strong you know tier one top tier hero, right? It's generally a mid tier hero. Okay, so if you can lock that hero from moving around trying to evade your leader, you can play a headhunting strategy here and take them out very quickly and sort of swing the game in your favor. Uh, and if your opponent is spread out, that will immediately force them to have to come back together to try and get that killing blow on you, to try to break you, and with your anti-shooting bubble, you can prevent that. So how does the combined arms shape up against a mobile army? Well, like against any army, 
you got to expect to be outflanked by a mobile army. It's pretty much what they're trying to do, especially if you're rocking a siege engine. They're probably going to be trying to get at mm -hmm. your siege engine because, like, siege engines are really good against uh, cavalry models. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, because they hit both the mount and the rider. Mm -hmm. um, and in this kind of a matchup, you're, you're going to depend on your shooting, obviously, because, you know, shooting dismounts and kills cavalry so it's it's really good and good chance you probably have better shooting than they have um you can expect your leader and if you have a wizard to be very strong units against a, a mobile army mm -hmm. um not only just because they're great units but also because they could both potentially be mounted as well um so taking away that enemy cav bonuses mm -hmm. um in an objective-based game, it's kind of an even battle against this type of army because they're usually very good at it, but you have a lot of tricks. You have mobility as well. Um, in a non-objective-based games, you, you probably want to try to find choke points. Um, a very good strategy to use against cavalry can be very frustrating for a cavalry army if they're fighting on a board with tons of choke points that have enemy units in them and they can't move around the table um, and you want to force them to <clears throat> pardon me you want to force them to come to you and if you do all these things right you have a good chance to win the game now lastly is the combined arms versus combined arms and this is tricky as all mirror matches are and it comes down a lot to who has the most tricks and who can utilize them with the most uptime, i.e. who can utilize their tricks all the time. So odds are you're both going to have anti-shooting bubbles. So the name of the game is, you, so you're going to probably both have anti-shooting bubbles. You're both going to be shooting at each other. So your top priority is going to be your opponent's magic. You want to get rid of their wizard uh, as quickly as you can. Because once you get rid of their wizard, then your wizard can neutralize their big leader and your leader can go kill mid-tier heroes. And all of a sudden it has this sort of domino effect, okay? And you want to be sending your cav on outflanking missions to kill their siege engine, as Don mentioned, right in the mobile uh, comparison. And you also want to look at not only sending your cav out to outflank for the siege engine, but also get line of sight on it. Because your goal is going to be, because odds are you have a splash damage siege engine, okay? Because it's a large siege engine. And your goal is to shoot for the siege engine, okay? A couple of reasons. One, a siege engine counts as a stationary target. So if you're shooting at it, you don't have to reroll for scatter, right? It's not a battlefield target. All right, so you don't have to reroll that scatter die. So if you hit it, you hit it. The other part is because the enemy's siege engine operators have to be in base contact with it, that splash comes two inches from the entire siege engine model. So it hits all of the operators all at once. So you stand a very good chance of neutralizing as many of them as you can, thus forcing your opponent to either A, not be able to shoot their siege engine, or two, pull in untrained operators, that is, warriors that are just sort of standing around. 
And when they have to do that, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, that siege engine is hitting on sixes regardless. So neutering that siege engine is a, another critical piece to winning the combined arms versus combined arms game. Awesome. Yeah, I like that about the siege engines. That's cool. Yeah. Shall we move on to some examples of uh, uh, combined arm list? Absolutely. Uh, let's start with, I think, when I think of combined arms, I think of this list. And that is the Survivors of Lake Town. Okay, this list has pretty much all the things you're looking for in a combined arms uh, force, except for the cav component, which is can be remedied with some quick allying. Okay, because it has a lot of great green ally options. But anyways, back to the list. You've got a really strong top tier hero in Bard, who is strengthened with a lot of synergistic bonuses from his daughters, Sigrid and Tilda, for the fight six, the free hero combats, Gandalf's magic with protection of Valar, um, and Alfred's dubious counsel to bump him up to potentially fights um, might six or higher, six might or higher. You also have Gandalf the Grey, the wizard extraordinaire who has the anti-shooting bubble and has all these other little things that he can bring to the table, like the strength and will with Alfred combo to give more might, as well as Sorceress Blast, etc. You also have Bilbo Baggins, who can bring the ring that has no downsides. There's no rolling for Bilbo when he puts his ring on. He automatically has fight value, and he brings an elven blade. And they, the, I guess the survivors of Lake Town is the probably the strongest horde wall um, style list for a combined arms force. And you've got some really cheap heroes, really cheap warriors at five points. And Bard gives a 12 inch banner that gives them plus one fight and, and re rolls uh, for the banner effect. So all of a sudden, your five point model is the fight three. Right, and that's a big deal because uh, a lot of other horde like armies are also fight three. That's true. And lastly, they also have some strong shooting, right? Because Bard has a great bow, and your army, because it has a it can hoard itself out very easily, it brings a lot of those 24 inch range strength to human bows. And if you want to pick up Percy, um, you know, Percy leading a dozen of these archers. All of a sudden, Percy allows them to re-roll ones to hit when shooting. And as they hit on fours, that can be a big deal. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's a good rule. Yeah. Well, that may be what you think about when you think of this army. But what I think about, just because it's way more common, in fact, it's mm -hmm. one of the most common armies, it's Minas Tirith. In fact, when you see Minas Tirith, the most common build you see Minas Tirith, I would say, is combined arms it's true and it's just because it's it's kind of a natural way to build a Minas Tirith army you know they've they've got strong uh, top tier hero options in uh, Aragorn and Boromir you got Gandalf the White you know usually at higher points value uh, and he comes with his anti-shooting bubble and all his other spells you got the trebuchet or the bolt thrower both are excellent mm -hmm. uh siege engines i you always see the bolt thrower these days oh yeah always um, yeah and you got a strong horde wall you you know you even have a choice of what to pick with your worries of minas tirith uh defense six and your ranger support with spears or you take your 
your defense seven you know fountain court guard really solid solid model mm -hmm. uh and you have the knights of minas tirith for some good cheap mobility some outflanking oh, yeah. units like that army like all of those things that i just listed it's very common to see a minas tirith army with all of those things in it yeah and you know we we talked about the special rules and guess what fountain court guard have bodyguard making them immune to terror as long mm -hmm. as they're big heroes alive and and you know, shield wall and for, shield uh, wall yeah and warriors of minas tirith that's right and you also talked about gandalf the white who brings fortify spirit and having that at higher points levels when coupled with, say, Aragorn King LSR makes him a very hard person to sh shift when he's got that two extra dice for magic defense. Uh, and then let's go over to the Hobbit era armies. Again, we talked about, I, I like staying in the Hobbit era this time around. Uh, and we'll talk about Iron Hills Dwarves. Now, this is an army type like Minas Tirith, this is the type of army you will see that naturally leans towards combined arms. And I say that because it's where it's strongest. Yes, it can do that massive shield wall of defense eight, but the reality is it operates best when it's got its tricks. And when I mean that, I'm talking about that really strong top tier hero with Dane on pig, with the master battle of four plus army bonus. You've got the old Twirly Whirly, which is the strongest siege engine in the game. Uh, probably not so much nowadays because it was nerfed multiple times and now 125 points. But let me tell you, I hate seeing that thing on the table. So it's still as menacing and intimidating as any other siege engine you'll see. Um, and that also counts, you know, doubles for an anti-shooting bubble, right? Because it has the heroic shoot function built in and the, its special rules, it's very strong. But that doesn't mean that an Iron Hills army is just solely focused on the old twirly whirly. They bring crossbows to the table and they are very potent, potent weapons. They've also got you know, your D7, D8 shield wall, literally it's, so when you're looking at bringing a small subsection of a force that's resilient, this is the most resilient shield wall you can get because this is also a shield wall that it can actually kill models. It's fight for, it's strength for, you can't go wrong with that. Whereas other shield walls are generally strength three and not always fight for, okay? And it's got some really strong tier two heroes uh, with lances because when you're on a war goat with a you know a spear or their, their war lance, uh, it counts as a lance. And they also have you know master battle five plus again making that might last longer. And lastly, the war goats, which are the sturdiest cavalry unit in the game. With that. I believe they're D6 for the actual goat itself, or D5, and the warrior itself is D6 on top, and he's got a lance with, again, the fight four and the strength four. So this army has a lot of potent tools. It's gonna be smaller than other combined arms forces, without a doubt, but it has a lot of tricks that make it go, that can take it to the victory, uh, the victory line. All right, so for the last example, Mm -hmm. We will go back to the Lord of the Rings, and again, one of the most common armies, Mordor. Big army, lots of unit selection. It can build lots of different types of army, including combined arms. Mm -hmm. And this, this combined arms is probably uh, like the last one. The one thing that Iron Hills doesn't have is magic. This one 
usually when you see combined arms, it's probably got a little bit more magic than some of the other builds. Um, and that's because it's got some of the cheapest magic in the game with the Witch King, the Shadow Lord, and unnamed ring race and of course the shadow lord comes with your anti-shooting bubble if you should choose to take him it's also got cavalry with warg riders or orc trackers on warg make for cheap shooting and effective outflanking units as well mm-hmm. um, it's got some good synergies like black numenorians with terror coupled with ring race harbinger of evil gives them a lot of tax tactical flexibility and the ability to synergize with the drain courage spell Mm -hmm. so those three rules they're all can really frustrate (laughs) an enemy uh hero let's say um the troll catapult it's an expensive unit but it does have the best siege engine upgrade severed heads which again oh. synergizes well with Harbinger of Evil and Drain Courage. It is one of those upgrades that you don't see a lot, but when you see it happen to your forces, you know how bad it is. Okay? Because the ability to force a courage check, and if you fail it, you flee off the table. When you drop an opposing, opposing hero's courage, to one through Drain Courage and Harbinger of Evil and you drop a, a, a severed head shot on them and remember because of the troll you get to reroll hits and reroll scatter and you've got that extra point of might from the siege engine sort of operator leader you, if they fail that courage check they're gone off the table so when you're coming up against that big you know, top tier hero with the threes in all the right places and you bury his courage at down to a one, which can be done because ring rates can run on fell beasts and so they can fly and they can get to their opponent's hero, get some early drain courages off, which is very cheap to do, so you one dice it. So by the time they're in combat, you can launch the siege engine shot, you can force the courage check, and all of a sudden it becomes a pretty precarious moment for that enemy hero. So much so that they'll blow all their resources to stay alive. So if you've got Mr. Threes in all the right places, fails a courage check by four or five points, that's all their will gone. That's all their might potentially gone. And all of a sudden, you've just declawed that enemy hero. And on top of that, because it's a siege engine, you've also knocked them prone. Yeah, I've played with the Witch King and I've cast Drain Courage on big heroes before, like early game, and had it not resisted. Yeah. Just because it's one of those spells where it's like, what are you doing? Drain Courage. What does it do? It just lowers your courage. Yeah, I'm not going to resist it. I've only got three points of will. I'll save it for something nasty. And it's like, well, this is nasty. It's just not right now. It's exactly. later. <laughs> this is this is the buildup. This is the prep that you're not paying attention to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Shall we move on? I think that's it for combined arms. Is there any other points to add? No, I don't think. I think that's it. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next section. We're here for all that is gold does not glitter and today we have a question from joseph hanlon of our local scene who doesn't live anywhere near close to us so we never see him anymore 
um, especially because of COVID and no tournaments. Yeah, yeah, that's really too bad. Uh, but anyway, he has sent in his first question, and it mm. is this. Hey, guys, Joseph here. I've been enjoying listening to the podcast and miss seeing you guys in person. We oh, miss that's seeing awesome. you. We miss you too, Joseph. Uh, my question for today is, why do you think we tend to see different popular armies in different parts of the world? Is it what is perceived as strong? Or do you think it has more to do with the models people have to work with? I know there are many powerful armies that we seldom to never see in our league that are popular in other leagues. So what do you think, Andrew? Do you do you have a theory? And like I, I, I already mentioned just in our little uh, behind the scenes discussion that, you know, I don't really follow like the meta or whatnot in, in other countries or other leagues, at least not closely. Mm -hmm. So I really can't say exactly. I can comment in general and I can certainly comment in depth on our meta mm -hmm. and and what armies we don't see very often here um, and talk about that. But what, what are your thoughts? Well, I think there's a number of factors at play here. I mean, just, you know, being an accountant, uh, the first one off the top of my head is finances, right? Like it's the economics of your player base. If you've got players who've got a significant amount of disposable income, then their interests can vary uh, and you can see a lot more of those sort of forge world like armies, like which are tend to be more expensive, especially over here in Canada because um, of the shipping and whatnot. So you can see stuff like Iron Hills. You'll see stuff like um, uh, Survivors of Lake Town, um, Army of Lake Town, that kind of stuff, which are generally considered to be the more expensive armies that you would probably see in Europe and the UK because you know the, the source is more readily available and they're probably a bit cheaper. Um, and so that's kind of one component to it. I think it's also the size of your meta, the size of your your area. Right, the larger your area, the more diverse armies you're going to see, as the more diverse um, choices people are going to have and interests and desires. Um, you know, in, in the UK, you see pretty much everything. Like you will see every type of army out there, and you'll see a lot of armies out there in abundance. Uh, and I think another component is definitely, um, you know the competitive to hobby ratios of your metas like you might see um like a league have a if they have a small percentage of competitive players you'll see specific types of really top tier lists uh, being played and you'll have sort of the the up-and-comers who want to get into that bracket who will emulate uh this, this top tier uh these top tier armies to try to get up to the top uh, and then you have the hobbyists who just don't really care. They just want to bring the armies that they really want to play. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there could also be a component of sculpts and the appearance and good versus evil. I mean, like, uh, depending upon the meta, like I know in the OSBGL, and Don, you can correct me, I feel like our meta, or, our, or at least our player base, likes to play good armies just, I guess, because they like good armies. Um, and so we have a, a larger or more predominant um, listing of good armies in the OSBGL. Um, I know that doesn't really exist elsewhere uh, unless you're looking at the more higher level or more top tier stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of like the, my initial thoughts. What do you think? 
Yeah, well, uh, just a couple of comments on some of the things you, you mentioned there. Like you were talking about cost and certainly like an army like, uh, is it Azog's Legion? Not Azog's Hunters, but the yeah. other one, Azog's Legion. Mm -hmm. Like that one you don't see as much of as Azog's Hunters simply because of the, the whole Forge World thing. Yeah. However, we do see that one, or at least a couple people that have that in our mm -hmm. in our local scene here. So we do see that. Um, also, yeah, it's like depends on the type of, of players and the type of league that you're running like if you're in a really competitive scene obviously it's gonna it's gonna bring a lot more of the competitive players to the forefront um and like in our meta which i think is is quite common like we have a fairly sizable percentage of people that really don't give a crap about the competitive side of the game no. and they they play in the tournaments because that's where the games are happening you know and and everybody loves the tournament um, mm -hmm. but not necessarily go to it to be competitive. But part of, of uh, Joseph's question is he's talking about powerful armies mm. is his question. So he is talking about competitive. Like you could, I think, basically replace his wording um, where he says powerful armies with competitive armies. So that that's kind of where the, the focus of, of his question is. Mm -hmm. And um, certainly like, you know, even plastic versus forge world or whatever is is a factor of cost and collectability availability is also a thing um but like in our area like looking through the main core rule book when i go through all of the good armies and all of the evil armies i can literally say every good army is well represented in in our league yeah. right? right and when you go through the shorter list of evil armies literally the first half of the list you see all kinds of it the second half of the list you almost never see any of it not that you never see them but they're rare and those are the easterlings very eggs of khan the serpent horde far harad corsairs of umbar and of course nobody plays sharky's rogues because they're just downright terrible dreadful um but like all of those armies with maybe one or two possible exceptions at least one person in our league has those armies but it's still like you rarely ever see it like easterlings rarely ever see it but i know people have it right one or two people have it at least mm -hmm. fairy eggs of khan never seen it never played it well, that's, that's going to change right? well not from what i hear i hear it's very competitive um, oh, you're thinking the chariot the, spam army, yeah. Yeah, they, I mean, I know two people in our league are working on the army, so once we start playing, we're going to see that. Mm -hmm. The Serpent Heart, again, Garrett has it, right? Um, so at least one person, probably more than one, have it, but again, it's rarely seen on the tabletop. Far Harad, never see it. Yeah. Don't know if anyone has it. Corsairs of Umbar, again, one or two people have it. Very popular in the competitive meta. Uh, probably we'll start seeing it more because mm -hmm. I think the secret is out on that army. It's good. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't expect to ever see Sharky's Rogues at yeah. a tournament. I think the problem when you start looking at <clears throat> why do different um, player bases have different metas or have um, you know, different powerful armies or propensities towards these powerful armies, um, you have to look at... Uh, there's a couple things here. One, you have to look at Good versus evil, right? Or whether it's free-for-all, right? I yeah. know in Germany, it's predominantly good versus evil, right? So uh, when it comes to those types of games, your evil army is almost always Mordor. 
and uh, it's Black Numenorians backed with Moran and Orcs with a couple of ring rates, obviously the Shadow Lord and the Witch King, and that's pretty much like their main evil segment, right? Because it has all your tools. And then on the good yeah, side, yeah, I don't know about over there, but like I would also throw Angmar into that. You always see Angmar. It's, you're gonna it's, see it's, Angmar in there because you're yeah. gonna have Gulivar, you're gonna have the Witch King, you're gonna have the Barrow Whites because the Shade is now yeah. like old news. Um, and those are pretty much your main two outside of Goblin Town. So like those are really your th- main three. And in the UK, from the, some of the podcasts I've been listening to, they like to use green alliances. That's generally their propensity. They love green alliances because the bonuses from green alliances, in their opinion, outweigh any sort of allying. Well, is that? I, I don't think that's uncommon. I think who doesn't like green alliances? But the problem is that again, good armies have better uh, alliance bonuses, right? I mean, with some exceptions on the good, on the evil side. But generally speaking, good armies on a whole have better um, uh, allegiance bonuses. Uh, so yeah, I would say it comes down to the propensity of people wanting to um, ally and do Frankenstein lists, which I've seen a lot of in the U.S. That seems to be that a lot of the top tier players like to Frankenstein list their, their, their armies um, with mm-hmm. larger model counts. Um, with Army of Lake Town and Survivors of Lake Town, um, with allies being a, a, an option. Whereas the UK is all about green alliances, and that means you're leaning more towards good armies with some specific evil armies in tow, uh, but more predominantly towards good armies because these green alliance bonuses are amazing. And then over in the, the, in Germany and parts of Europe, um, again, I'm not going to brush this out because this is only what I know, uh, it's all good versus evil. So when you're looking at good versus evil, unfortunately, um, evil loses out in a lot of cases because Galadriel Lady of Light is so predominant. And I used the word predominant a lot, and I realize, but this so uh, used because of her plug and play ability in so many good armies. And that kills Isengard shooting lists, that kills Corsair shooting lists, it really diminishes their power. So again, you're looking only at Angmar, you're only looking at Mordor. And then from the good side, you've got Rangers of Athelion, because again, um, you've got shooting bonuses, but they're not always going to be shooting anti-shooting bubbles, but that's not always going to be the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got your you've got your elves, you've got your Gondor uh, as being your choices. Um, and then over on our side, um, I really think um, the competitive meta here is very much influenced by because our because uh, our meta is smaller, our, our player group is smaller. Uh, yeah. I, I'd like to think that our group is influenced by sort of the individuals at the top who run specific types of lists, and that's what they like to run. Gondor being big up at the top, um, and, and those, just just let me put it in context yeah. for for people that are like are from other parts of the world, and as like our community here in Ontario, like Ontario is a huge place yeah. geographically, um, so we have a very spread out group. Um, like basically, Ontario is the size of the UK, mm-hmm. and our population is like what thirteen million, something, something like that. Like that. Um, so we have about a hundred active players in our league, um, give or take. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, like you know, we have say a hundred different players that attend tournaments throughout the year, and like a lot of them travel around. So you have probably a, like a core of maybe. 
30 or 40 players that attend a lot of tournaments and then you know out of the other 60 they attend between say one and four or five yeah. tournaments agree yeah i just wanted to throw that out there to sort of put it in context to, yeah yeah, so it, anyways, like sort of narrowing this down because it's like it's kind of more of a, a wishy-washy conversation for us because we don't know specifics really. But if we were to if we were to zero in on an army that we don't see here, what would you think it would be? Or an, maybe two. An army I don't see here that I think that is That is competitive and is powerful. Oh my god, survivors of Lake Town. It is a complete combined arms list that you just don't see here. You just don't yeah. see it. Again, like at least one person has it, but yeah. You just don't see yeah. it being played with enough um, frequency. I mean, it's a list that uh, shores up a lot of weaknesses. I, when I look at a sort of a jack-of-all-trades list, I look at that list. And yeah. people might say, well, you know, it's not fight four or defense six. And it's like, yeah, but it's the good version of Horde with amazing characters and even more amazing alliance bonuses uh, and, uh, and allegiance options, right? Um, yeah, yeah, and it's got, it, like, just having the, the number of models, the horde, the wet blanket, it's, uh, that in itself can, can really hinder your opponent. Yeah, oh yeah. You uh, can... For me, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one that's um, on the evil side, mm. and I'm going to go Corsairs of Umbar. And again, it, it's one that, like, it's not that it's never seen, but compared to how good it is and the fact that it is mostly plastic, mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of shocked that we don't see a lot more of it. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. Um, it's, it's very strong. Um, I, I don't know. Um, it's a cheap army to put together with some, with some patience and doing some extra conversions. You could put together a 700 point list, potentially even up towards a, of a thousand point list for like 120 bucks tops. And in terms of MESBG armies, that's cheap. Like in, in terms of their ridiculously OP Reavers model, am I right in saying that, that like that model is no longer available t- to purchase or um it isn't but the reality is you could convert one of their standard warrior models by giving them a second hand weapon and some extra green stuff here and there sure um and the reaver model isn't as op as it used to be it used to be ridiculously op fight five um and and you know strength six potentially with the piercing strike. Yeah, uh, what do I know? I thought it was still ridiculous. Uh, it's it's extremely strong, but it's definitely been sort of held back by the need to keep the uh, the the corsair um, taskmaster version. I don't remember what his name is. Uh, the corsair um, sort of taskmaster type dude around, right? So you could kill that guy. Is it the bosun? Yes, the bosun. That's right. If you killed the bosun, all of a sudden they're making courage tests, and if they fail it, uh, they can start booking it into your own lines, and you're in big trouble. Um, so that kind of stops you from going willy-nilly full reavers. But it, it's a strong <laughs> list. Um, it has its ups and downs. Um, but as a whole, I'm surprised I don't see it. The other list, I'll because I'll just touch on one more evil list that I don't see that surprises me is the Assault on Helm's Deep Legendary Legion. Now, well, this, it's because it's new. Like, that's very new. You know what? It's a list 
almost a lot of people can field because a lot of people just have your bog standard Urukai army of warriors and yeah. crossbows and pikes, uh, and they probably can pick up some ballistas and some some siege bombs. Uh, yeah. That's a list that is even after the nerfs, it's still a strong list. Yeah, and I think we will definitely see that once once we get the league going here again. Agreed. Um, which it's still not started here, so. All right, well, I guess we've talked all around that somewhat open-ended question. Do you think we've answered it uh, effectively enough? I think we've answered it effectively enough. Probably not as well as maybe Joseph or others would like, but um, there is one place I will suggest um, they check out, especially Joseph, is um, Devin's podcast. Remember that one into the, is it Unexpected Podcast? The unexpected podcast. Yeah, because yeah, he's actually doing, um, uh, he's doing some episodes where he goes to the various countries' metas and he grabs someone from that meta and they talk about their meta and they talk about the types of army lists. So if you really are super keen or about finding out what other countries are doing and what their metas are and what the player bases are, as well as the justifications for why they do those things, go ahead over there podcast and check it out. You're gonna learn a whole lot about it. Oh, that's cool. That's. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on to the next segment. All right, we are here for <laughs> what have I got in my pocket? What have we got in our pockets? Okay, well, you come prepared this week only because I reminded you a few days ago to get your question ready. You said so why you, don't you you want to no, lay your question on me? You're or what? first. You're first, my friend. Oh, okay. that's right. <laughs> oh, the suspense is killing me. Oh, yeah. Never had a, a question on the ready from you before okay anyway here's my question for you S- mm-hmm. since the new team of writers yes have been putting out mesbg books have i know you haven't purchased all the books so which books have you not purchased and why did you not purchase them uh, the shire one it's the only one I haven't purchased. I purchased all the other ones. I purchased all the other ones. I didn't purchase the Shire one because honestly, I have zero interest in the Shire or Sharky's Rogues. And from a competitive standpoint, I've heard people talk about how that book does not make the armies more competitive. I mean, it replaces essentially the Legendary Legions replace the actual army list, uh, but it doesn't make it top tier competitive. So it's um, it's of zero interest to me. Okay. Yeah. Well, I I would agree with. If, with the fact that it doesn't make them more competitive um, I think there's like there's a lot of content in that book which is, is what I enjoy about it mm-hmm. um, there's lots of new heroes in the book um, maybe even too many I, I don't know if you could have too many but um, but yeah cer- certainly on uh, Sharky's Rogues uh, very welcome addition of some heroes but mm-hmm. yeah it does nothing for the army in terms of making it more competitive um, there is another book that I don't think you bought, which is the Best of White Dwarf magazine. No, no, I didn't buy that one either. Uh, yeah. No, you know what? 
It's because the Best of White Dwarf magazine includes, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in, in, in saying this, it includes mm-hmm. all of the, the old magazines um, and maybe talks about, obviously the best of them, talking about hobby and this and that, but it relates to like the previous edition or the previous two editions ago. So there's not really a whole lot of context-specific stuff for this edition. So if you're looking at it from a gaming perspective, I just don't see how that's relevant. I mean, from a hobby perspective, it's an amazing trove of information. Um, but you know my mind is more on the gaming side of things. Yeah, I think there's a certain amount of sentimentality to it as well because you're seeing, you know, they're kind of cherry-picking scenarios and whatnot from, uh, you know, some from current stuff or mm-hmm. within the last couple of years and some from much further back, right? So it's it's got yeah. a little bit of everything in there. Um, I didn't initially buy it when it came out, but when, when I found out it was, like, sold out and probably Ooh. wasn't going to be able to get it again um i ended up enlisting the help of uh, garrett i believe it was who knew a local independent retailer who had a couple of them and said yeah grab me one of those when you're there hmm. so i i ended up getting those have you read through that it? one uh, i haven't read everything of it but i've certainly read quite a bit of it like like you said like a lot of it i i already have read or i own it and yeah in, in different uh, in whatever publication it was originally released in mm-hmm. but I don't know that was one where I thought you know what I, I kind of want to buy it if I'm never going to be able to get it again and I decide that I want it later mm-hmm. and it's not available I'll probably kick myself so I'm like what the heck I'll just get it so yeah that makes sense so I, I th- I've pretty well purchased everything so far Fair we'll enough. see if that continues with the next release oh you know it will because you know the next release is going to be uh, Easterlings well, and Casa Doom. I, I will probably, I will probably buy it. But honestly, it it doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't blow my mind. It's not Casa Doom. Oh, that's so it'll, it'll be no. Erebor uh, yeah. reclaimed and um, yeah. uh, Easterlings. When the new, when the new Casa Doom books, I'll be the first one in line to buy it. That I'll, I'll guarantee you that. You'll be there. It'll sell out before you get it, and you'll grumble. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Maybe I probably I grumble at everything. So why would that be any different? Fair enough. All right, come on, hit me with your question. Oh, question, duh. No, no, no. This session's what have I got in my pocket is not a question. It is a quiz. Oh God! Here is this is a revenge. This is a revenge segment. <laughs> this is a revenge quiz. Okay. Now. Uh, I have chosen 10 special rules that are specific to models. Could be one, could be many. And I will right. even let you know it is specific to the Army of the Lord of the Rings book. Okay? I'm not okay. like you. I'm not going to spread it around everyone and everywhere. And you need to tell me, paraphrasing, what the special rule is. Okay? Sure. Um, so I will read out the name of the special rule. You will tell me what it is to the best of your ability. Uh, and we will go from there. There are 10 questions. How many do you think you're going to get right? Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. Probably less than half at least. I, this is an easy one. I'm telling you right now. I have, I have low balled you. I've given you a little, little, little easy throw, a little softball. You'll smash us out of the park. All right. 
let's let's go for it but you know okay. i'm an old guy my recall is bad you know uh, we'll see some timers all that oh, kind of stuff okay okay see I'm uh, not, <laughs> he's already self-doubting <laughs> he's like i quit it's I'm over i've preparing lost the, the ground here <laughs> No, All go right. for it. So the first special rule is unbending resolve. Unbending resolve. Oh, yes. Uh, no idea. Um, let me try to take a wild stab at it. Would you like to pass and come this, back? Is this, a, this is a very specific... This, are these all very specific special rules? Like they specific are, spe they uh, are not generic special okay, rules okay. you will find in the rule book. Yeah, I'll, I'll pass. Let's, let's go to the next one. Stand men of the West. Oh, man, I'm not going to get any of these. I'm going to go over on this. Stand men of the West. Mm -hmm. Pass. <laughs> Okay. Spectral walk. Are you kidding me? I just like, I've never even heard of this. This is horrible. You're doing this terrible so far. Good revenge segment. This is a fantastic well, you're revenge segment. You're asking a person who has absolutely no power of recall. Now, these are not competitive special rules. What's this Some one again? Spectral walk. Spectral walk. Mm -hmm. Like that one, I don't even remember ever reading it before. Oh. These are all from Lord of the Rings, dude. Not from the from the Hobbit. Eh? Let's pass. Okay, Lord. <laughs> three for three so far. So far, Lord of the West. Lord of the West. Mm -hmm. Well, this has got to be Aragorn or King Elessar, is it not? No. I I would think no. No. What the hell, Lord of the West. That's right. This is a great segment you've thought up, Drew. I know. Pass. Lore Master. Come on now, you should know this one. Lore Master. Mm-hmm. Is this uh, Saruman? No. No? Uh, it's your favorite army. It's my favorite army. Kazadum? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's uh, Flowey. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You're giving me enough hints that I can slow, <laughs> I can slowly get it. <laughs> Is this the one where if he spends a point of will, he can negate a special rule? That's correct. All right, You're I got on one with, with a with a helper. That's right. We'll call that a half pointer. That's a half pointer. Sure, I'll uh, take anything I can get. Okay, lone hunter. Lone hunter. Mm -hmm. Good or evil? Evil. Evil. Lone hunter. Pass. Okay. Seeping decay. Oh my god. <laughs> These are brutal, dude. <laughs> Seeping decay. So this has to be evil. That's correct. Has to be evil. Seeping decay. Okay, is this... Um, Start... Asking questions. Is this ring, the Ringwraith guy? Is this mm -hmm. a Ringwraith model? This is a Ringwraith model. Okay. It's the uh, Tainted. Mm-hmm. It's the Tainted, and it's if you are in base contact with him, you have a chance of taking a wound. I believe it's on the roll of a six. I did say if you could paraphrase it, you are correct, sir. Congratulations. Okay, that's one. That, no that's help a, on that. That was a help. But I'll, I'll give it to you. That's a one. solid one. That's a solid one. Okay. This is an easy one. I'm giving this How one. many questions have you asked me so far? Um, it's like I've asked you seven so far and you've passed most oh of them. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, okay. So the next one is Chill Aura. 
Chill Aura. Is that not the... Um, ba, 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 ba. What's that thing that you just said yesterday's news again? The shade. Yeah. Is it not the shade? It is. And is it not the... You reduce your uh, dual roll by one? That's correct. That's Boom. correct. There we go. Two for two after if we ignore the Woo. other five that happened before. I'm on a roll. I can't <laughs> believe it, but I'm on a roll. Death touch. Death touch. Mm -hmm. The touch of death. That definitely sounds evil. Uh, sounds sounds very evil. The touch of death. Um, pass. Okay. Come back to that one. Last one. Find the halflings. You should know this one inside. Find the halflings. This is Lurts. That's right. Gets to enter the board on any turn, any location he wants on missions that are maelstrom or have reinforcements or some such thing like that. That's correct. That's three so far. Okay, let's trickle back Oof. around. Now, okay. that, so you've gotten Loremaster, although I did have to help you out with that one. Uh, and you've gotten Seeping Decay, Chill or and Find the Halflings all on okay. your own. <sighs> okay, so rough. let's go back it's to the top. Going. Unbending Resolve. Unbending Resolve. This is, sounds good. This is good. This is good. Uh, that's true. Uh, unbending Resolve. Would you like a hint? If I give you a hint, that's going to go down to uh, half a point. Give me a hint. Okay. There are two good models that have this special rule. Two. There are two and good one models of them, that have the special rules. And one of them, in the lore, killed a Balrog. One of them in the lore killed a Balrog. Well, that would be Glorfindel. Mm -hmm. Unbending Resolve. Uh, I don't know that this is it, but I know he has a special rule that uh, makes him resistant to magic in some ways. Is that it or no? That would be it. I'll give it to you. It's a half pointer. Um, it's it, it, essentially the, the individual has fortified spirit, whether they have will or not. And so it's him and okay. Elendil have unbending resolve. Oh, cool. Okay, All good. Right. Good to know. Good to know. So that is a half point. So you're up to four points there, Don. Uh, you're doing well. Uh, stand Men of the West. Be good, obviously. Also has to be a human model mm. or a man. Mm. Stand Men of the West. So it's either got to be Minas Tirith, Fiefdoms, or Rohans. One of those. Um, who would have that? I, I thought right off the bat King Elisar, but I don't know. Give me a hint, God. Well, it is King Elisar. I said that before, and you no, said no. No, you did not. You? you said stand men of the West must be an elf thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> My bad. My bad. You said okay. Lord of the West was a uh, King Elisar. I don't thing. know. Does it increase his? Uh, I don't know. Give it to me. I give up on that. Okay, so this is a zero, uh, and essentially it means that King Elisar counts as a six-inch banner. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. Sandman of the West. Spectral Walk. The Spectral Walk. Mm -hmm. Good or evil? Good. It's good. Oh, my gosh. That's right. 
Oh, it's got to be um, the dead of Dunharrow. Mm-hmm. What is it, though? So is it the uh, King of the Dead? Uh, or is it a generic rule for that faction? The latter. It's a generic rule for the faction. Well, I should be able to get this easily then, but of course I can't. <laughs> um, Garrett's rolling over in his grave right now because oh he knows the rule. <laughs> he knows the rule. Spectral walk. Is it the one where they can walk across water? Among other things, possibly. You are correct. Oh, I'll give you that as a full point. This, this is a struggle. Yeah, you get getting pretty good. All right, Lord of the West. Lord of the West. Oh my God! Stand, men of the West. Lord of the West. Everybody loves the West. Mm-hmm. Um, give me a hint. Uh, there are. One, two, three, four models with this special rule. All of them are tier one models. Or top what tier. The tier gold one? medalists. The gold medalists. Gold medalists? The three's in all the right places. <laughs> How many models? Four. 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 four models have this. They're all top tier guys. Gold medalists. The three's in all the right places. It's Lord of the West? Lord of the West. Oh, this is the um, this is the elf uh, special rule, where they can re-roll dice of some nature as part of a combat. Uh, is it? It's I forget what it is exactly. Re-roll a dual roll, possibly, possibly re-roll a wound roll. That's correct. Uh, I forget. I forget the exact rule. That is it. They get to re-roll one d six in a dual roll and one d six in a wound roll. Oof. That's a half point because I helped you out. I was all I was all over it. Yeah, okay. I was all around it. Lone hunter. Oh, I like the sounds of this one. Yeah. The lone hunter. The lone hunter. Is it good or evil? That's evil. It's evil. Oh, this is Shelob. It's got to be Shelob. No. Well, what? Uh, what's your guess? Lone hunter. I'm going Shelob. Mm -hmm. But what is it? What does it mean? What does it mean? This is the rule. I don't know. Is it the rule where she runs away if she gets wounded? Mm -hmm. That could be. I know she has that rule, but she that does. doesn't sound. I hate it doesn't so much. Doesn't sound lone hunterish. Mm, no, it's not the rule. Mm. Good thing I didn't commit there. I didn't commit to that. <laughs> I don't even know that it's she. I didn't even know it's Shelob for sure. What other special rule does she have? I don't know. She's got um, at least one more in a brutal power attack special rule. I don't know. I give up. May never be taken as part of another model's warband because even though she's an independent character, she can't join warbands. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. why she's a lone hunter. Because yeah. she's a lone hunter. Well, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. Death Touch, the last one. You've got them all so far, or at least you've guessed at all of them so far. <laughs> I've been I've been chipping away at them here and there. You've been giving them the old Doom effort, the old chip away. Oof. Um, Death Touch, got to mm -hmm. be evil. We already said that. <clears throat> the Death Touch. Mm-hmm. It's not coming to me. I, I passed on this one earlier because I thought my dredge up the answer eventually, but 
Your brain would dredge up the answer eventually? Yeah, yeah. But it's there's no dredging going on. Would you like a hint? I guess I'm going to have to have a hint. The drums, the drums in the deep. The drums in the deep. Well, that makes me think about Balrogs. The death touch. The death touch. I don't know. Would you like another hint? Yeah, give me another hint. Uh, this character likes to associate themselves with spiders. Spiders. Oh, it's that one shaman? Is it the shaman guy? I think so, that, yeah. That casts that spell on uh, beasts and spiders and makes them go all crazy? No, it's the other one that very few people take. Yeah, I give up. Give, give me okay. the answer. It's Ashrak. Ashrak? And what yes. is the rule? Uh, you're thinking Druzag, the one before, that does yeah. merge beast. Ashrag is the one that allows you to pay for the upgrade to make your giant spiders re-roll all dice for wounding for two points, making them Venomback spiders, I believe. But the word death touch is an interesting one. Any model that wounds or is wounded by Ashrak in a fight must roll a d6. On a 4+, plus, they suffer the effects of the paralyzed power. I would say that would be in the top two questions of this list that I would never get in a million years. Yeah, it's a possibility. Yeah, never. I would never have got that. No chance. Okay, are you ready for your total? Yeah, what what did I get? I know I completely flunked out on two of them at least. Uh, three, actually. Three? three? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. One, two, three, four, four. Partial You've scores on seven. Five and a half out of ten. Oh, yeah. Beat his beat his guess. It's a passing grade. It's all it's just it's just like high school all over again. <laughs> now I didn't just snuck in there with a the pass. Just snuck in there with a the pass. Now I built this list because yeah. I, I didn't want to go with only competitive choices. Sort of rounded it out with a bunch of choices. I want to go five good, five evil. Uh, it turned out okay. Right on. That was all right. It was it was it was horrible start a horrible start passing like the first three or four of them with absolutely no clue as to the answer. You just need one to build that momentum. You yeah, just you need, need one. one. You just gotta just gotta get it, get get a, an answer up on the board and give you know you some confidence. For you, it took till till you know special rule seven to get it going, and then you know you're able to circle back around. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, we're we're talking night and day for you and me with this kind of stuff because you're Mister like photographic memory, and I'm like, yeah. When it comes to this game, I tend to have a pretty good memory. Yeah, I remember it. All right. <laughs> well, that's me. And that is the what right, have well, I got in my pocket? Let us finally, with much relief, move on to the <laughs> next section. Are you ready for some TBD Chronicles, Mr. Andrew? Uh, I guess. I have to read it this time, so I don't know if I'm quite ready as before where I could just sit there and enjoy <laughs> listening to it. I'm looking forward to this. So this will be part two of our TBD Chronicles, to be determined because we don't have a name yet. That's right. Uh, the first one was in episode 19, and I read it, and it was about Garther, mm -hmm. the... 
dwarf ranger. That's right. Wandering around in the mists and fighting with orcs. And this is part two, where we come across a injured comrade. That's right. All now, right. I will I'm, say I'm this. excited to hear. I'm excited to hear what you have. Okay. Well, I'm going to preface this just because. Okay. Preface. Uh, while I am an enthusiast for writing short stories, one, I haven't had a whole lot of time lately, but two, oh, I'm an amateur, so if it, sounds, if it sounds atrocious, just acknowledge I'm an amateur, okay? Did you practice reading it? I told you to no, practice reading it, because I listened to mine, and I was like, oh my god, I should have practiced that more. No, it's all good. I got this. Oh, I'll this wing is, it. This, this off the cuff. Take it away whenever you're ready, sir. Okay. Garthur rears back, shocked at what lay underneath the hood. Well, that's not something you see every day, now is it? Staring at him is a woman's face, chiseled with short-cropped, ash-brown hair with long bangs in the front. Dark olive skin shines in the dim light, and fierce brown eyes emanate murderous intent. They relax when she realizes he's not an orc. Looking her up and down, Garther exhales a sigh of relief and when he sees no wounds. Are ye injured, girl? Staring at him crossly. Woman, and no, I'm not. Thanks to you, though. If this fight went on any longer, that brute with the two-handed axe would have had me. Garther nods and wipes the dirt off his knees, standing up and pro-offering a hand to her. He, she waves him off and stands up of her own accord, her rough calloused hands moving quickly across her attire, a slightly tattered and dirty green cloak, well-worn but serviceable leather armor, shabby brown pants and worn black boots. Satisfied with their condition, she turns to Garthra and says, thank you again, dwarf, for the assistance. I could not she abruptly stops when she sees the satchel on Garther's shoulders. Emotionless, she flatly says, Hand the satchel to me. Garther pauses briefly, taking in her request. The delay in his decision causes the murderous intent to appear in her eyes again. So he quickly nods. Here, lass, your satchel. Quickly removing it from his shoulder, Garther hands it to her. She snatches it and deftly flicks it over her shoulder. It instantly disappears beneath her cloak, hidden from the view of prying eyes. Was only holding on to it temporarily, Garther says, taking a step back on the rock perch, hands out, placating her. Gave the ranger as proper a burial as I could, too. Nodding softly at Garther, her body relaxing. I hope you'll forgive the matter, dwarf. He was dear to me and his possessions are of utmost importance. Knowing that they are secure gives me a small measure of happiness. An awkward silence descends upon the clearing as both rangers stare at each other, a silence further accentuated by the fact that there are no sounds of wildlife, a silence that breeds madness, and one that Garther has no interest in allowing to continue. Your name, lass, he asks. Names are earned, not given, she responds. Garther nods, as a dwarf, respect and honor are prized above all else, so we can see the logic in that. 
She turns from him and begins shuffling through the bodies. Moments pass as she turns over several orc corpses. Finally, with a look of relief, she pulls a bow from underneath one of them. As she inspects her bow, Garther watches with some intrigue. She checks the string integrity, the upper and lower limbs for cuts or gashes, half drawing it several times before nodding and slinging it over her back. It is not the standard longbow that Garther expected. Slightly smaller, more compound, the type you see in use by Haradrim raiders, or so the stories go. The scavenging of bodies throughout the clearing continues until she amasses almost two dozen orcish arrows, two bottles of grog, and a package. Taking a seat in the middle of the clearing, facing the direction of the mist where Garther entered, she uncaps the jug of grog and gives it a sniff. Tilting her head sideways, almost in acknowledgement of something, she takes a swig. Leaning against a tree nearby, Garther shivers and spits unconsciously. Brackish and foul that mixture is. You will not catch me drinking that stuff, he thinks. I will die of dehydration before a drop of that passes my lips. After a second swig, she opens up the package, revealing orcish bread. A brownish-gray hunk that looks more like stone than bread. Seeing no mold on it, a hunk of bread is torn off and inserted into her mouth. Her face slightly contorts with revulsion before the taste washes is washed away with more grog. You want any, she asks, fervently shaking his head and pointing at the grog. That's a filthy mixture and the bread to boot. You'll not catch me eating that, not even if I were to starve myself. Also, gesturing at the arrows, they will not fly true no matter what you expect of them. They are orcish made, after all. Smiling to herself, her eyes roll unconsciously. That's the difference between you and me, she counters, eyeing Garther shrewdly. You have the luxury of choice. I do not, and sometimes that weds poor bedfellows. Besides, she continues, as long as the grog is not sour, nor the bread moldy, it's edible by our standards. Say what you will about orcs, but they make nutritious food that keeps you on your feet. As for the arrows, gently shifting her slightly hourglass figure to reveal the quiver overflowing. They fly true enough. They hit an orc from 30 yards in the chest, and that's all I need. To each their own, I guess. You can have your grog and bread, had ye asked. I would have offered you some of mine, Garthur replies. Acknowledging the offer with a nod, I'll remember that next time I'm hungry. Then again, I suspect, like me, you have been waylaid by the mist. Your own provisions must be running low by now. Garther concedes the point with a nod. His rations were halved and his water was almost gone. Aye, this bloody mist has been toying with me for at least three days now. I entered it with a small group of dwarves heading east, but we were quickly separated. How about you? Finishing the bread and drowning the rest of the grog before discarding the jug, I was helping that ranger you buried hunt orcs, traveling west from who knows where, waving at the fog outside the clearing. We lost our bearings in the fog, and by the time we realized our plight, the enemy was upon us. Looking down at the ground introspectively, pools of sadness welling in her eyes, he told me to flee, and he would hold them off. 
a fool's plan that caused him to die in vain. Garthor shakes his head. Nay, lass, he skewered two before he fell. Had he not, I don't think we would have survived the fight. Lost in Reviri, staring blankly into the haze, she responds. Thank you for the kind words, dwarf. It does not give me solace, but at least his death has meaning. No, she continues, what will make me feel better is if we hunt and murder the orcs responsible for it. Their encampment is not far from here. Garthur gives her a perplexing look. How do you know that? She responds grimly. When we lost our bearings, we stumbled upon their camp. From what I could see, it is in another clearing similar to this. Only half their number chased after us. I guess they figured eight was enough to finish off two humans. They're a mistake, Garthur says, smiling. Standing up and turning to face him, she holds out her hand. Are you with me, dwarf, to slay the orcs who killed my friend? Garthur smiles, moving forward to clasp her forearm. Aye, lass, you don't have to ask me twice. If there's orcs to hunt, you have my axe. And that's it. Is that it? That's it. That's hey, oh, it. wow, that was good. It was good. I like her. She's got attitude. That's right. She's got survival, a survivalist attitude. She's got some spunk. <laughs> oh my God! I don't know. I don't know if I believe everything she was saying. I'll, ha- I'll have oh, to listen to that again. That's right. Like, I don't know. There's some some questions there. Um, yeah, like when I wrote the first part, I uh, I didn't want to assume that you wanted your character to be male. So mm-hmm. I tried hard to not mention he she whatever you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so yeah i see you you decided to go female so that's cool that's, i did that's yeah cool. like you yeah. know you, you see a lot of you know if you look at lord of the rings you look at the hobbit it's always men and i thought you know it'd be cool to have just like a, a dwarf a male dwarf and a female human and let's see what adventures they're going to get up to yeah, I, I'm looking forward to now. I'm gonna have to listen to that again so I can start thinking of the ne- the next part of it. That's right. It's exciting. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was you. good. Mm-hmm. It was good. Thank you. All right. So uh, I think that is it for for this episode because we've gone pretty long. Yeah, we're a little um, bit long in the tooth. Yeah. So we'll just end it there, and uh, hopefully we'll see everybody back or next episode. Thanks for joining us here for episode 20 of North of the Shire. Are you going by script right now, or are you just freewheeling? I'm just freewheeling, man. I'm just looking at the script, okay. bouncing off. I'm trying to just pitch stuff to you, but we're in the strengths category. You just pitch one back at me if you want. We're doing this organic, Don. We're doing this organic. We're doing this organic. We're freewheeling, baby. <laughs>